This is the Crescent Project, bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in His kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as the Communications Director for Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Send us your feedback or questions to be answered on the program via email to radio at crescentproject.org. Welcome back to Crescent Project Radio. We've got a special show in store for you today as we hear from some friends who are going to share an incredible opportunity, an outreach opportunity that frankly might sound too good to be true on the outset. But I have to tell you, this is something that each one of you tuning in right now, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, and really, no matter what age or stage you find yourself, you can participate in this. And the only thing you need is a desire to impact a Muslim with the gospel and an internet connection. So with that, I want to welcome Matt and Jenny. Welcome to the program, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Oh, man, we are so grateful to have you guys on and appreciate your time to share with us today. Matt and Jenny come to us from E3 Partners and join Crescent Project in February of this year. And so they're really just getting started. They lead an outfit called Embassy, which is a unique ministry outlet designed to connect Christians and Muslims online. And prior to this endeavor, Jenny worked as an interpreter and Matt worked as a teacher. So with that, I want to start out by asking you guys, what is Embassy and, and how did it come about? Uh, well, thanks for having us on, Matt. Um, Embassy is online outreach to Muslims in closed nations. We connect believers here in North America with Muslims abroad who speak English so that they can have ongoing conversations and friendships. We're talking about people in countries like Somalia, Iran, Syria, uh, places that we tend to think of as unreachable. Uh, but the great thing is that they're not unreachable, not anymore. And that means that you, listening on the, online, uh, you can be in conversation with people in these places, wherever you live. Whatever you do, you can reach Muslims in Pakistan or Libya or Yemen or anywhere. Yeah. Mm. And just a little about how it got started. Um, first of all, Matt and I, we had seen God do just incredible things in the lives of our Muslim friends and just just miraculous things that were turning our world upside down as we recognized the power of God to save. And um, and so as as we were seeing this happen, um, we we wanted to be ready for a call to go abroad. That was just very, very much where our hearts were at. And so in preparation of that, we were looking for a way to um, practice conversational Arabic. And so we started looking for ways to connect with Muslims in closed nations in the areas that we were thinking about. And we ended up finding access to tens of thousands, um, which, as I say, that originally it was that number. Today, it's even higher. And we'll mm -hmm. get to that in a minute, I think. But... Um, but what's cool is, you know, as I was, I was reaching out and wanting to practice Arabic, everyone was like, yeah, 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 I'll talk to you in Arabic, but will you talk to me in English? <laughs> Which I didn't anticipate. And so as we started talking to people in Saudi Arabia, Syria, Pakistan, Egypt, Iran, all throughout the region, um, we saw God do incredible things. And we wanted to continue to reach out, but we wanted to be able to take five or 10,000 people with us. Mm. So Embassy was formed um, in response to opportunity. Um, it was formed to mobilize, equip, and connect Christ followers for this opportunity. Mm, that is awesome. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Well, so tell us then how exactly does it work? I mean, how, how do Muslims, uh, for instance, find these networks where you guys connect them with? 
Hmm. Well, uh, that's it's cool. That that's really kind of like asking an American how how an American might find McDonald's. Never <laughs> <laughs> really. I mean, the platforms that we're utilizing are extremely well known. There are twelve major sites that are on our radar that function to serve as a meeting ground for people from different countries. And talking to an American on one of these is the biggest draw on the site. So for a young adult in a place like Egypt or Pakistan, it's a huge leg up to be in conversation with a native speaker of English uh, to solidify their skills, to hear a native accent, maybe pick up idioms, you know, understand some slang and things you shouldn't, should and shouldn't say, maybe. Uh, we had a funny story about that. But, <laughs> but <laughs> to clarify, though, we're not talking about ESL. There are a lot of missional ESL platforms out there, and they're fantastic, but this isn't that. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's no ESL training. There's no lesson planning. There's no prep. This is just people coming together to speak uh, using a common language. Outside mm. uh, the 12 main sites, we've identified a few other connection platforms too. One is a discussion forum with over 50,000 Shia Muslims speaking in English whose stated purpose for the whole site is to find truth. And they welcome people of all religions. So it's not a big deal for a Christian to join and just say, I'm a believer. You know, I'd love to talk to you guys about what I think is true. Um, and lastly, we've, we've also found ways to engage with people from specific unengaged people groups over the internet. So if you look at the Joshua Project and you look up a given um, unengaged people group, you know it's very possible to find someone from that group and connect with them. So the big question really isn't how do the Muslims find the network, it's how do we find them. And Embassy is here exactly because we want to help people find them. Mm. That opportunity. That's amazing. I mean, it's, I find that uh, astonishing, too, because I think that um, most Americans would probably f have the same reaction and say, wow, and they have these networks already set up and they're there and they're, they're ready to be uh, to be connected to. That's just uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Do you have any sense about how long they've been? It's been like that. I mean, has it been mostly kind of a, a more recent endeavor with with the advance of, of digital uh, you know, communications and, and Internet stuff? Or I'm assuming that's the case. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think when I was in high school, this definitely, you know, we had the internet, but we didn't have the development and social media and just the interconnectivity that we have today is so different from back then. So I think it's, it's a new opportunity, you know, something that was definitely not possible not that long ago. And now it's very easy. Man, that's awesome. Now, how many Muslims would you say are, you know, right now ready and wanting to connect? Oh, um, how many are there? Well, many, there are so, so many. I just mentioned the one site that has 50,000 Muslims on it. We ran some numbers and we found out that there are, um, I'm sorry, on another site, we found another site uh, that has another 50,000 at least. So, I mean, conservatively, out of these just these two sites, we're talking about 100,000 people. And that's kind of when we quit counting because until <laughs> we can raise 100,000 volunteers, we don't need to worry about, you know, how many yeah. are left to reach. but. The bottom line is there's a huge, huge need. We find uh, more connection platforms all the time. And, you know, 29% of humanity uses social media. So we really shouldn't be surprised that those numbers are, they're going to be enormous. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, that's incredible. And that, that is a huge field to, to, uh, to go after and to be really engaging. Well, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Now, how many of these would you say then are from closed countries where there's little chance to hear the gospel? Um, for that, we would say virtually a hundred percent. Wow! And kind of, yeah. To kind of, um, I don't know, look at that in more detail. 
Um, there's a couple of lenses that we want to just explain here. Um, the first would be countries that have government restrictions. And these would be, you know, the most obvious would be countries with apostasy laws. That means that Muslims, it's illegal for them to um, to convert and follow Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of these countries have the death penalty for that. So countries with apostasy laws, there are 15. These include places like Saudi Arabia, um, Qatar, Afghanistan, nations like that. Um, we also have countries with blasphemy laws. So you talk about countries like Morocco that has Article 18 ensures freedom of religion. And they love to talk about that or really open about the fact that they have freedom of religion. But they have these blasphemy laws that mean that... Um, that mean that if if there is an offense that in some way they feel is insulting to Islam, um, that there are legal implications for that. Mm -hmm. um, so that includes countries like Pakistan. Actually, Pakistan and Egypt carry the death sentence for blasphemy laws. Mm. This includes places like Jordan, Bangladesh, places that we would typically consider to be a little more progressive. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have the proselytizing laws, which are basically like, I don't know why we continue to word, use the word proselytizing because it's basically evangelism laws. Mm -hmm. It's saying like, yes, you can follow Jesus, but you can't do anything he says. Mm -hmm. You know, because, because if, you, if you can't share the gospel, you're not following Jesus. And so... Overall, um, nearly every single Islamic country has restrictions with heavy, heavy consequences. That also includes Muslim-majority nations that are secular in nature, um, that don't have Sharia law, but they have extremely repressive practices. Mm -hmm. And that would be the countries that we, we kind of call the stands, you know, like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, that entire area. Um, that would fit under that government restriction category also. Um, but the second lens to kind of consider would be the social restrictions, um, which at first can sound a lot less than, than government restrictions, but really it's, it's a very severe reality. Um, and what we mean by that is that in Islam, the Ummah or the Muslim community is responsible for maintaining Islamic law. And that means that, so what we're talking about here is honor killings. Mm. Country like Jordan, which is, is by no means fundamentalist, they're not extremists, they're considered like a tourist destination out of the Middle Eastern countries. They have the highest number of honor killings in the world. Oh, man. Yeah, mm. yeah it, it's also, it's places like Sudan. I remember um, Miriam Ibrahim made the news a couple of years ago. Um, she was the pregnant woman who was on death row. Mm -hmm. Um, for her faith in Christ. And, and I remember the government, this barely was a blip on the radar and it frustrated me, but the government made a comment that her family should have taken care of this. Mm. They were saying like, why did this even reach a government level? Like we don't, we don't want to dirty our hands. Her, her family should have been the ones and kind of that reality. And you look at it, that, that is spread throughout the Islamic world. It's very, very real. Um, we also have the reality of another form of social restrictions would be just the reality of, of terrorist presences mm -hmm. in different areas. We spoke recently to a woman who has served in Uzbekistan and um, was attacked by Al-Qaeda. Again, Uzbekistan, like you would never even think of that as an Al-Qaeda stronghold at all. Mm -hmm. um, 
so again, virtually, you know, it, when you look at a map of Muslim majority countries, is you would be hard pressed to find a place that has not been institutionally cut off from the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very, very well explained. Wow. I mean, we, we could just, we could camp out on what you just said for a while. I mean, that's just, uh, that's, it's, it's sobering to hear that. I mean, it's sobering to review some of that. Um, and, and it's important for the listeners to understand that and how truly, uh, vital this is. I mean, it, it's, this is literally a lifeline into eternity for these folks who may never had a chance to hear the gospel and, and never have access to travel outside their country or never even just to, to access a page of the Bible. So, I mean, this is just astonishing. So, so talk to us about this a little bit more. Yeah, it's well, Ravi Zacharias, he did a study um, not long ago, a survey of Muslim background believers. And he found that a hundred percent, of Muslims who come to Christ say that it was the influence of having a friend who is a Christ follower was hugely significant in that step in mm. coming to salvation. Mm. And I think that, you know, I, I love the miracles. I love the dreams and visions. You know, we've seen that we've seen that with our own Muslim friends and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's real. But the reality is God uses people. He always has, Yeah. you know, and even with the people who are having dreams and visions, it, they, they, they are not coming to faith separate from somebody explaining the gospel and explaining what that means. And so um, also with that, you know, statistically, most Muslims will don't come to faith until they've spent a significant amount of time reading the word of God. Mm-hmm. But most will never even touch a page of the Bible unless a believing friend invites them to do so. And... Um, I don't know. A friend of mine was sharing with us just last night. She had a she had a dream. That I think is just a really a very real view of of what's happening right now. Um, she had a dream where she was in an Islamic country, and she saw a house that was on fire. Mm. And she said, in this dream, this house was filled with men, women, children. They were all Muslim, and and they were dying. You know, and she said that the flames were just engulfing this house and people were standing around outside feeling just paralyzed. Like, what do we do? How can we help them? Mm. And she said that in this dream, she suddenly heard them start to cry out from inside that house. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she said for her, it was just this reality that like when push comes to shove, people know that Jesus is the name, is the only name under heaven by which they can be saved. But they need to hear that. Mm-hmm. They need to hear that name. They need to hear that message. Mm. Gosh, that's powerful. Wow. Incredible. Mm. That's that's a wake-up call right there. I mean, just absolutely. Gosh. Well, why why would you say then? I mean, I'm, I was stunned by the number of people on these networks. I mean, why... Why are so many Muslims looking for American friends to connect with online? Do you think? I mean, I know you mentioned the ESL is is a or you know learning English is a big reason, but but why why American friends in particular? Let me tell you a story. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Egypt on a short term trip, and me and one of the other Americans on the team, we were walking through a village with some local believers, and we were just walking down the street, and people would just come out of their house. They'd see us passing by and they'd come out on their porch and they'd call to us to come over and they'd invite us inside. They'd say, come, I give you Twinkies. I have Sprite. Come to my home. Because <laughs> you know, they're so hospitable. You know? yeah. um, and so they just, they just love to have us in. And 
for for one example specifically, we were we were walking down the street, and this this man came out. He was very old, uh, hunched over man. He had kind of a, a messed up eye, and I mentioned that only because it's it's significant later on. But he he came out, and he kind of held his walking stick up in the air like a like a wizard, and he. <laughs> And he shouted like oh, his Arabic, you know. So I, my translator translated it, but he shouted, "Come, please come!" He just demanded that we come in. So wow, we went into his house, and turned out he was um, 101 years old, and he had survived uh, an attempt on his life back in the 70s, where he was shot twice, once in the face and once in the stomach. And he's he was very excited about the fact that he was still strong, you know, still strong and. <laughs> And everything, everything he said, you know, he would get up out of his chair. He didn't talk. He proclaimed, you know, <laughs> and he would stand up out of his chair and hold his walking stick in the air and shout at the top of his lungs, whatever he had to say. Mm -hmm. Like we asked him, uh, what was his secret to living so long? You know, 101 years old. And, uh, and he stood up in an Arabic. He shouted, butter and meat. <laughs> and so I personally, I'm taking that to heart now. <laughs> the butter and meat. But anyway, we—I mean—he invited us into his home, and we were able to share the gospel with him. And this guy had never heard it before. And he and several members of his family came to Christ that day. Oh, praise you know, God! I mean, they were just—they were ready. And and he—he he had just been clutching on to life for 101 years, I think, because he had no certainty of what was coming next. And you get to see the peace just wash over his face, Thank you know, God. as he as he came to understand who Jesus was and, and that he's a savior, you know? And I think, I think what's so telling about that, about that experience is just that something about Americans is very novel. You know, I mean, the Egyptian believers we were walking with, they didn't get those invitations. You know, we weren't invited into those homes because of them. It was because people could see we were Americans and, and they're like, wow, I want to have this person in my home. I want to get to know them. I want to, um, I want to talk with them and host them, you know. And uh, we saw physical doors open up simply because of where we were from. Mm -hmm. you know? um, even in countries where there are Christian communities like Egypt, you know, Muslims don't associate with the Christians. So it just doesn't happen. And the same thing that we saw happen um, there in Egypt, I mean, it happens online. You know, physical doors open when you're there and uh, virtual doors open online. Yeah, our our Tom Doyle, who's the author of um, Killing Christians and Dreams and Visions, um, he makes a comment that I love. He said that we're called to be fishers of men, and Americans make really great bait. Mm. And it, it just we've just found that to be true. And with that, as much as as much as it's real that we have unearned favor in their eyes just by merit of being an American. Um, We've also found that the, kind of the inverse is also true. Mm -hmm. We found a couple of times that because some, some I don't know, countries, mosques really talk about Americans very much like we're pariahs. Mm -hmm. um, that's created in a lot of people just this curiosity of like, who are these people that my government views as so dangerous? Yeah. You know, and specifically about Christians, like what what is this message that they have that that is so, you know, that our government is afraid of? And I had one conversation once with an Iranian friend where um, she told me one time she she said mid conversation, she goes, you know, when I was little, when I was in elementary school, I was taking a test, and um, there was a multiple choice section, and one of the questions was, 
why should you not talk to Americans? And she said, I took this test. She goes, and this was, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. And she goes, but today I know the answer, having talked to you. And I said, well, what is it? And she goes, the answer is there is no reason. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's just, and, and that's just what we're seeing, whether people, whether people are, are ready to talk to Americans, you know, because, because they see us as having favor and they don't, they can't put their finger on why, whether it's because they're curious because they aren't quite sure what we're about, um, Whatever it is, we're just seeing people use that. Or we're seeing God use that to draw people to himself. And that's why as we found these, these platforms and we're realizing that there's so many people ready to connect with Americans, our desire was as much as possible to ensure that the Americans they're meeting are Christ followers. Absolutely. That they're people who are going to be praying for them by name, who are going to be intentional to share the good news of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Incredible. That is absolutely exciting to hear. And, and really that you're right. That does make sense about why they would be curious. And, you know, regardless of whether they get in negative information or just, you know, the, the aura of, uh, of TV or movies or whatever, but that's just, that's fascinating. And I love Tom's quote. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. Oh, uh, now some have wondered about security. I know that there's been some questions about that whenever we, we presented this and talked about it. Is is there any sort of vetting process that that the that the Muslims go through whenever they get connected uh, through embassy to to a Christian? Um, honestly, no, <laughs> and and the reason for that is because although the vast majority of Muslims we connect with are are not extremists, they're not dangerous. They're I mean, when you talk about something like ISIS, like they are just as horrified and sickened and weeping over it as as you or me mm -hmm. you know that's the vast majority but the reality is people who are sympathizers of terrorism we want them to hear the good news yeah we want to talk with them so much and 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 some of my favorite conversations have been with very radicalized people and just seeing them you know process through the word of god and seeing them start to embrace that and and have their paradigm shifted and this one girl, we, we saw her publicly say, you know, she'd been making just horrible, horrible statements. Um, her, her use of, I don't know, profanity in English was much better than mine. So I won't, I won't try to quote her. Wow. High proficiency in <laughs> vulgarity. Wow. But, um, but she was saying horrible things. And, and then, you know, I started talking to her about, about the Bible and sharing some scripture with her. And she publicly said, you know, like, I never knew that this was true of God. You know, and she started just to take that in and to kind of struggle with the dissonance between what she thought she believed and and what her spirit was showing her was true of God. Mm -hmm. We love moments like that. And so, um, so yeah, basically, we, we don't filter on their end. We do have security measures in place um, for, you know, for the security of volunteers. Again, it's really our, our risk here is virtually non-existent mm -hmm. but um you know but biblically obviously it does say be innocent as doves but shrewd as snakes mm -hmm. and we take that very very seriously and so we've consulted about security matters um not only for volunteers on this side but also for muslims who do take those beginning steps towards christ you know we want to ensure that mm -hmm. security measures are in place for their own safety as well Absolutely. Well, that's a great answer. It really is. It's, yeah. I can add one other thing there also. Yeah. Um, 
The other thing that we've seen is that, like I mentioned before, there are so many um, institutional barriers. There's such a, a reality of fear. It's just heavy. It's thick. Yeah. You know, for Muslims who, whether they're feeling God just pull on them to know Christ, you know, whatever that is, there's a lot of fear they have to deal with. And, and what we've seen and what they've told us is that the internet is a really, really safe place for them to take those initial steps. Mm. And so that's another, you know, it's a way that we can, until a person is ready to count the costs and to, and to accept what that might mean to follow Jesus, this is a really, you know, somewhat anonymous way for them to start to understand, you know, what would it even mean to follow Jesus? Who is he? What is this message? Right. That's exactly right. Wow. You know, and I find it fascinating, too, to think about this as you're talking about the fear is that, you know, we have a common enemy, you know, uh, all those who are made. We're all made in the image of God and we all have the common enemy is Satan. And so I think it's interesting and important to remember that, you know, Satan is using fear to block both sides, to block Americans or Christians, rather. Uh, and Muslims, you know, he's using fear to prevent both of them from interacting and connecting. And uh, I just think that's important to remember that we, we're both we both have fear in different ways, you know, and, and we fear different things. But uh, that that's truly uh, the major obstacle that we, we've got to overcome uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what let's do, guys. Um, let's uh, let's wrap this uh, first segment up. I'm, I'm loving this conversation, uh, but we need to wrap up. And then we'll come back and do another segment, and we'll get into some testimonies. We'll talk about some of the experiences you guys have had, and we'll walk through the steps of how how people can get involved, <clears throat> and what training is involved for them, and just you know how how they can go and and be involved. So let's uh, let's wrap this first segment, and I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll continue. Okay, Lord, thank you so much for uh, Matt and Jenny and the embassy that they've established, and and. This amazing opportunity, Lord, to connect with Muslims in closed countries. We're grateful for those who are who are already being impacted by the gospel. And we're just uh, amazed at the opportunity you've given uh, to connect with them online. And we just pray that you would bless this uh, this ministry and this uh, this portal and this format to to bring much, much fruit uh, for the kingdom, Lord, and in and, uh, and the Muslim world. And we just pray that you would bring many, many people uh, to be involved in this. Many warm volunteers, Lord. The need is great. And God, we just pray that many would be inspired and motivated to want to be involved in this uh, ministry with Embassy. And then we pray a blessing on that. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen. 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 And once again, this is the Crescent Project, bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as the Communications Director for Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Send us your feedback or questions to be answered on the program via email to radio at crescentproject.org. We hope you join us again next time on the Crescent Project.